Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. We just wrapped up a special little series there from our track sessions from the Exponential Conference this year. And now we're jumping back into track sessions from the National Disciple Making Forum that we hosted last year. Next up is Small Circle, given one of their track sessions. Small Circle is a collection of disciple making tools with a one to one dynamic. They believe that deeper levels of relationships can be found beyond the group experience. Small Circle captures that life-changing power of one-to-one relationships. So make sure you check out smallcircle.com and also download their app for free. All right, let's jump in and hear these track sessions from Small Circle. Here we go. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good to see some of you back, some new faces. I want to start on time to honor you for getting the engine revving. And uh, so I feel like we're from Florida, so I feel like I'm like in the Antarctic. I, you know, when I saw frost, I'm like, so we are, my wife, Carrie, is here with us. She grew up in, uh, as a missionary kid in northern Japan, uh, equal on the same lines as Siberia. So... Um, that's why we moved to Florida. <laughs> Our other team, Eric Williams uh, and uh, Jerry Clark, they're also from Florida. Uh, Eric lived here for five years in Clarksville, so we're back in Stomping Downs. Hey, today we're going to jump in and uh, talk about something that I think is uh, critical and something that, is, that creates some tension, I think, in disciple-making uh, because... Uh, somebody, after one of the sessions yesterday, had such a really neat picture uh, of a bicycle that, uh, on, you know, you got two pedals on a bicycle and one pedal represents content, which you, it's important to have, and the other uh, represents that organic relationship. And sometimes I think the tension of balancing those, sometimes if we get too much information, then it, as we looked at yesterday, kind of academic. And um, if it's just organic and it's all relationship, it can kind of get fuzzy and there's not a lot of multiplication, replication, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to be talking about how to get beyond, how to use tr- information, but how to get beyond information transfer. So, so I want to start, I always like to start with kind of a thought-provoking question. So the question would be, um, is it possible to have too much information? And let me remind you too before we get going, if you text the word small circle to 97,000, you'll not only have the notes of what you'll see on the screen, but you would have them to review later. And there'll also be links to our tools, which we offer at no cost to you in several ways. So uh, 97,000, if you just type in that word or type in that number and then uh, small circle and uh, you'll get it going. Yes. Even if you texted yesterday, do it again this morning. Oh, good. It's a new link this morning to the new session. Notes. Yeah, we give new links for each session so that when we give all four sessions and then one comes. <laughs> we already kind of know where you're going. All right. So the question is... Uh, can you have too much information? And so the answer is yes, and in several circumstances. So information, when our knowledge exceeds obedience. In other words, I would venture to propose that if you've been a Christian for a number of years, it's very possible, probable, that our knowledge far outseeds our obedience to that knowledge. And that's when things become dangerous because we, we kind of get fossilized in these things that we know God's calling us to change and do, and yet we don't 
quite do it. And so uh, I think that's a challenging thing. So when, our, when we, we get beyond the uh, ability to obey what we already know. The second thing is, of course, uh, as the Bible says, that you know, knowledge puffs up. So if we get too much information, uh, then it can lead to pride. I wish I weren't about to say what I'm about to say. <laughs> um, and, and the challenge that I have as a pastor, as I share with you guys, I think um, there are a couple new faces today, but uh, next year will be 40 years in the ministry. And I wish that I could say along my journey um, of 40 years that the people that really knew the Bible in our church family were the most humble uh, the most uh, serving, et cetera. And sometimes they are. But I, as I look past you know, my track, it's often people that know a lot that become kind of the thorn in the britches, if I were quite honest, because human beings, we don't do good with great amount of power, great amount of wealth, great amount of fame, great amount of knowledge, great amount of skill, you know, if you're an athlete, musician, et cetera, et cetera. So, it's just one of those things that the more you get, the more you have to chisel that pride and ego like you know. I, we, we had one guy, he'd be in a home group and he would say, hey, um, let's go to Matthew 29. And, then, you know, everyday people, they're looking for Matthew 29. And he would just get the biggest kick out of, you know, fooling people and make them feel like dirt balls. I'm like, that is pretty awesome right there. <laughs> yes, sir. Finally, I think that um, we can have too much information if we we think that that is the end of disciple making. So if we only let people go like, oh, this, once they know a lot, we have now succeeded. This is success as in disciple making. So I'll say it in the balance. So that, this, that tension that we're talking about, the tension is, yes, it does include information. Disciple making includes information, but there is a balance of saying, Uh, We have to talk about obedience to that truth and walking with that truth and 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 not just because someone can, you know, quote 28 Bible verses or they know, you know, how to turn to Obadiah quicker than the other person, you know, all all that stuff. So I I think most of us are probably seasoned in this room. So um, we are now at the tail end. And I'll talk about this later about the timeline with the information age. The information age actually started mid 20th century. And what happened in the information age is that we had that information could be produced and transmitted and received at an exponentially higher level. So if you go back to, you know, 1500s and whenever the printing press, it took a lot to produce a book. It took a lot to get it into the hands. It took, there was a high uh, level of people that couldn't read. And so that's, you know, part of the dark ages and part of what happened there, right? But as we've gotten along now, people, we just shot a video uh, that looked pretty darn good in the lobby of saying, hey, thanks for coming to our sessions yesterday, blah, blah, blah. And I can tr- we can transmit that in two minutes and produce it and transmit it and you can receive it in seconds. So with Google and YouTube and Facebook and et cetera, we have more information. I happen to be a Tony Evans fan. I love Tony Evans preaching and I listen to Tony Evans almost every day of my life as I'm in the gym. I can get the best preachers and the best teachers at the just a blink of a button. And so we have, we, in certain ways, we don't need disciple making for information. 
we have, there's a lot of resources of information all over. So that was the most important thing you'll hear all day. Thanks for coming. <laughs> That's right. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> all right, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Unintentionally, in our church culture, we have created what we call the expert culture. And so what we're doing right now is the perfect picture of an expert culture. One person is talking, and whatever, how many of us, 20, 25 of us sitting here, we're all listening, right? We didn't mean to do that. We're not doing it because our egos are involved. Well, maybe sometimes. But what we do typically is that we have, you know, these groups are big groups. We talked yesterday about, you know, thinking in circles. We think about the big circle as collective worship and mid-circle as groups, Bible studies, Sunday school, adult Sunday school of some kind. And typically in, in this uh, arena, you've got, you know, a worship band and everybody out here is kind of, you know, in rows listening like we are right now. Then you've got the sage on the stage who's, you know, comes up and talks. And then typically in a group, you know, we, we have more dialogue these days in groups, but there's a, there's a leader, and especially in a Bible study, there's somebody that knows more than everybody else and all that jazz, and, you know, they're transmitting information like that. And so there is this sense of expert culture, which in a way diminishes the, the willingness and the readiness for people to be disciple makers because they're like, man, I can't do it like the guy, you know, up front, right? So I think it's uh, it, the expert culture is really important. So uh, here's how we deliver information or where we deliver it. We, in the big circle and the mid circle and then the small circle. And for those of you just joining, what we refer to as the small circle is just that table for two one-to-one. The information is different at that table for two. So we looked at this a little bit yesterday, like what kind of information are we delivering? So in the big circle, it's common, right? In other words, it needs to apply to everybody. You have unbelievers, people seeking God, people that have just come to God, people who have been following the Lord for years and years, decades. And so when you get up and preach on Sunday morning, you're trying to be common in your, your language and not go over the heads of new believers and not be so simplified, you're boring, you know, seasoned believers and all that jazz. And Jesus did the same, right? Blessed are the meek in spirit, I mean, Sermon on the Mount, talking in parables, illustrations, etc. Then you come to the, the group, you know, later by the campfire uh, that night, the 12 disciples said, hey, can we, can we concentrate on that that parable that you spoke about in the common group and, and when we were with the crowd, can we concentrate that? And so this is the, it's more concentrated information when we come into the, into the group. So in our church, again, we have probably about 35 groups or so, and uh, we do sermon-based you know, questions and dialogue. And so we're saying, hey, you're going to get it on Sunday morning, but you know, we get to have a conversation about it in a group and it's going to be more concentrated. When you get to the one-to-one, the difference is it becomes very customized. So if you think about the conversations, and I, again, you know, as I said yesterday, I only make proposals. You, you connect the dots. If you don't like the proposal, then toss it out and throw it in the shredder. But here's the proposal. When you look at these circles of Jesus, and he had all three, right? So he had the crowd, obviously, he had his core. He had a you know, closer core in here, Peter, James, and John. But, and of course, he had the, the relationship with John at a one-to-one level that was, seemed to be different and unique in several ways. But I also think about the one-to-one intersections that Jesus had, let's say, with Zacchaeus or Nicodemus or Martha or the woman at the well 
or Thomas. Every one of those conversations was customized to that one person. And that is what we've seen in relation to content that is incredibly important at a table for two. Even if you have four people at a table, it's difficult to be entirely customized to one person all the time. You're trying to, you know, to, to spread the peanut butter evenly on the, on the bread, right? So you can't focus on one person all the time. So my proposal to you is this. Is it possible that in the ministry of Jesus, we see the greatest life change at these customized intersections? So at the beginning of the story, Nicodemus was a chicken, right? Came at night. At the end of the story, he was an open follower of Christ. When Zacchaeus went into the house with Jesus, he went in a different man than when he came out. It's interesting, the original language of that story is that when Jesus said, hey, I want to come into your home, the original language is, I want to descend on your home. Most likely, he spent the night. In other words, he didn't say, hey, can I pop in for, you know, a quick falafel and, you know, be on my way. <laughs> he said, I want to descend on you. And I, pure speculation. But when you look at the conversations, like at the woman at the well, I can only imagine that why wouldn't Jesus have had a similar conversation with Zacchaeus? Hey, uh, uh, tell me about, I don't think you just walked in and said, hey, quit cheating. We got, we, are we clear? Awesome. I uh, Have a great day. I'm going to, you know. People don't move that way. Tell me about your dad. Oh, your dad was a cheater. Hmm, interesting. And your dad was really successful. Interesting. And you feel like you've never met up to your dad's standards. Something like that. How do we know that? Well, you look at the other conversations. Look at the woman at the well. Hey, why don't you go get your husband? Very customized. It didn't apply to anybody else. Martha, come on, girl, you're overloaded. You know, you could have microwaved something, but... You know, you made the full, you know, Sam's Club turkey dinner deal. You, you put this on yourself. Thomas, really? Okay, go ahead and touch. If you just stop and think about all these intersections, that they weren't common conversations, they weren't even concentrated. And I believe this is how we can break information transfer. You take information and you customize it to a person. It becomes different. We're so used to hearing preaching in a common arena, it stays information rather than it becomes customized truth to us. Does that make sense? I think it's a big deal. So uh, just my proposal. All right. How do we deliver this information? Before we get into this, I want to do a little, um, uh, I'm, I'll say, an illustration with you because you can't use the word magic around Christians. They freak out. So can you uh, help me pass out? I'll get Carrie on this side. And Eric, yeah, grab some. Everybody gets one of these. This is like the Oprah show. Uh, everybody gets a rubber band. I'm not giving a car away. <laughs> We're going to talk a bit about um, how human beings absorb information. Okay, so we've already looked at one way. We, I think we absorb better at a, at, at a customized level. So, by the way, we have two boys. One's a freshman in college and one's a junior. So... Last year, we had two boys in high school, and so they surpassed mom and dad's ability to answer anything on any homework whatsoever. And so, uh, but they were really diligent about wanting to, you know, take their education seriously. And so they would freak out if they had a chemistry class or a test or a calculus test. And you could just see, like, oh, I'm going to bomb this test. It's going to tank it and blah, 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 blah. And so we did what 
we had to do, which is shell out a bunch of money for a tutor. Now, these are just regular boys. They you know, live in the library, and so they're regular boys, and they would go into the tutoring session, and they literally would come out beaming. And they would say, I get it. Because they weren't sitting in a classroom like many people sitting in our groups that are not going to raise their hand and say, I don't understand this, that, and the other. I don't like tithing. I can't believe we're talking about it again. Uh, you know, this, this whole thing about loving one another, got it 10 years ago, but still, you know, in conflict with, you know, half my family or whatever that might be, right? But at a table for two, it's, it's customized. So that, it, it really helps. Here's the second thing. So I'm going to teach you this illustration uh, trick here, all right? So I'm going to teach you in several ways. Uh, the first way is only audio. So I'm going to, uh, here in a minute, I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes and only operate through audible what you hear no cheating all right but i'm going to give you a head start go ahead and put your purple rubber band on your right hand peace finger so the trick goes like this you have this purple band rubber band on these two fingers and what i'm going to ask you to do is i'm going to take the pink rubber band and put it over the index finger of that same hand the purples on, and put it over the finger and pull it toward yourself your palm is toward yourself you're going to twist that rubber band you put it over the next finger and you're going to twist it again put it over the ring finger twist it again put it over the pinky and then what you're going to do is put those fingernails, crease those hands down, those fingers down so that the fingertips are touching the palm of your hand and then pull the purple band over the, the fingernails. Okay, so it should look like this. You can open your eyes. Here's what it should look like. So the, the band is over here and then a whoop and now it's on the other fingers. How many people can do it based on the audio instructions I gave to you? One. Excellent. Two. Excellent. Okay, good. I got two. Let me see you do it. Yes, that's excellent. Excellent. Great. Get out. All right. So, <laughs> all right. Just get, <laughs> it's pretty, per, pretty perfect. All right. Now I'm going to do it a second time. No words. I'm just going to visualize. So if you're listening to this recording, there will be 60 seconds of silence. So here we go. We're going to start this way. Now how many people can do it? Uh-huh. A few more. All right. How many people can't do it yet? Okay, don't look at that. You're so ashamed. We need a table for two. All right. All right, here's what I want you to do. Raise your hand if you can't do it. And if you are able to do it, I want you to teach somebody else really quick. Even if you don't know them, don't be shy. Okay, go for it. All right, here's what the educators teach us. First of all, that little exercise, we had a couple people that could do it by audio, right? A few more people could do it once they saw it. But then we got to a table for two and everybody in the room. Some people say to me, oh, uh, you know, one-to-one -one disciple making, it takes so long. Not if you're letting it multiply and you will go deep, it will go faster than you think, but it is the truth, the information is being received and transmitted at a very different level. All right, here's what educators teach us. We only remember 10% of what we read. Think about that. 10% Sometimes I'll pick up a book. I'm like, have I read this book? And I'll see underlying. I guess I have read this book. The next figure or stat is extremely difficult and uh, for us as pastors to hear. 20% of what we hear. That's what we remember. 20% of what we hear. So that means all that time you spent on that amazing sermon last Sunday, eight out of 10 things were forgotten think about that. And how many of us have preached and you're preaching on forgiveness 
and someone comes up and says, man, that is the best message on the coming of Christ I've ever heard. I'm like, thank you. You just learn to say thank you. I'm really encouraged by, by your words. 30% of what we see, we absorb. We are, if you begin to combine those, it's 50% of what we see and hear. So this is where it becomes interesting. We remember 70% of what we personally discuss. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Now let me pause for a second and talk about how technology, where next session is all about technology, the ups and downs of technology, how we can also overcome the non-relational aspect of technology. We'll talk about our mobile app, et cetera. But when you think about technology, statistics are showing us that it is becoming increasingly difficult for those who are around 30 years old and younger to have one-to-one -one conversations because technology has robbed us of that and now we communicate by posting rather than conversing. So let's say you have a friend and you have to say something a little edgy, a little bit difficult. It's best not to text that, but sometimes we do. And we think, ah, what the heck, I'll just text them. So you text it and then you're like, uh, maybe I shouldn't say it that way. Okay, I'll say it that way. Well, maybe not that word. Okay, okay, I'll do that. Then you're thinking, 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 thinking. Okay. I'll post. Then they get it, and they're like, I can't believe you just said that. Well, yeah. Well, I probably shouldn't cuss. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm thinking, 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 and then I post. And then he does it back, and I do it back, and he does it back, and then I don't hear anything. It's called ghosting. And I'm like, man, maybe I ticked him off. Like, yeah, no brainer. Should have had this conversation. So, Proposal. Sometimes I wonder, it's when we're sitting in a group and we're going back and forth, and I understand we call these conversations, but I do wonder as, let's say for example, this is our group. We're on Wednesday night, we're sitting in, in a home, okay? You're talking, but I'm thinking. You're talking, I'm thinking. You're talking, I'm thinking. My turn, I'm posting. I have time in a group setting, and I, I'm, I'm in a group, I love a group, Not, nothing wrong with a group. I'm just saying, when you're at a table for two, there ain't no time to think and post. And it changes the way we're conversing. It's healthy, it's good, there's no hiding there. And there's no like, I'm just gonna, sometimes to be honest, I get 
you know, at my age and being on the journey as long as I hate predictable group talk. I'm like, oh, it's killing me, man. You know, and so uh, when someone gets raw and like, honestly, we all like, oh, good. This is going to be a good conversation. Right. But that predictable, you know, uh, somebody asked a question in my group the other day and almost I just kept my mouth shut. It was something like, um, why do you think Jesus talked, spoke to the woman at the well? I don't know, because he hated her or, you know, it was so obvious because he loved her. You know, it was just like, I just felt like kind of Sunday schoolish. But I I do believe that it's important. These kind of conversations, we're going to remember 70% of the conversations I shared yesterday. The guy I'm discipling, we have teenagers about the same age. The number of times we sat in the back of his pickup truck and talked about, you know, parenting and how we feel like we're blowing it and all the, so those conversations, I'm like, oh, I remember what Dave was saying. I remember that time when we were talking, 70% of what we dis- discussed personally. We remember 80% of what we personally experience. It's going to be the crux of where we're going in the second half of this workshop. Um, so what that means is that when we experience something, you know there's a universal language all around the world. It's called our five senses. What we feel and smell, there is no translation needed. You walk into a restaurant, you can be in the middle of, of China and like, man, that smells great. Our flowers, this, you see a mountain, you know, with your sight, you hear beautiful music, whatever that might be. And I know some of those things are cultural, but it's a universal language. We remember things that we, that we have felt, that we have, uh, we have sensed. We remember those things. They stick with us. And so um, I'm thinking about Peter one night when Jesus wanted to teach him about faith, he didn't give him a book to read. He didn't preach a message to him. He shoved him out in a boat, created a pretty fierce storm. It was at night. Jesus came, you know, trotting across the water, and he asked, you know, Peter, get out of the boat. Now let me ask you something. On the last day Peter was alive on the planet, and someone came along to him and said, hey, Pete, Hey, remember that night we were on the boat and we were out there and we all started freaking out and then we saw Jesus walking across the water and then we really freaked out and then Jesus asked you to get out of the boat and we all were laughing behind your back because, you know, you actually were going to do it and like, there's no way he's actually going to gonna do it. And then, you know, he kind of, you, know, you, you did the bungee jump, you know, you actually stepped out and then we were like, you know, foot in the mouth because we were like, wow, he's actually walking on water. And then you, you know, you began to sink. And then we were all like, I told you so. I knew he couldn't do it. And then you reached out and we came back in the boat. And we were all just kind of like, who is this? It's the son of God. Remember that? Can you imagine in your wildest dreams in that moment on Peter's last day of his, uh, of his life, if you say, I'm trying to recall that night. <laughs> to... So you said it was on the sea. Okay. I'm like... I share with you guys, I'm a, uh, I was a professional musician, practiced eight hours a day, seven days a week, 364 days a year, did that for many, many years. When I was 19 or so, I was hired in a fairly uh, big production uh, by someone that, you know, had a lot of credibility and clout. There were probably 300 musicians. It was a full orchestra, a full choir. I mean, it was a big deal. One piano player. That was me. And so at 19, I was probably the youngest kid in the room. I looked at the music beforehand. I'm like, this is beneath me. So I came into the rehearsal thinking, okay, this is a piece of cake. 
the guy who was directing the the rehearsal, it, let's just say he didn't frost his cake. It was very firm, very straightforward. He's rehearsing. When a director like that, a conductor like that stops, you better stop. And an unprofessional, everybody's kind of still practicing their thing. And he, goes, he stops, everybody stops. You can hear pan drop. So we're rehearsing, rehearsing, blah, blah, blah. I'm over there kind of faking it. He stops the rehearsal in front of 300 of my colleagues, 19 years old. He looks over to the piano and said, hey, Mr. McCoy, have you prepared for this rehearsal? I knew that he knew the answer. I said, no, sir, I have not. He goes, that's what I thought. You're fired. Okay, let's pick it up at measure 13. And it went just like that. From that point in my life, I never, ever, ever, no matter what it is, my wife will tell you, sometimes I'll step into the worship band. I'm practicing all week. I've never shown up to another rehearsal again, ever, unprepared. And I didn't learn it in a book. Those experiences stick with us. So in our primary tool, we put what we call a lab in every session. And we're going to look at some of these labs because it helps people like, oh, I get it just like we did with the rubber band. You're like, oh, I get it. I could have told you, hey, we all, all these things, but we get it. All right, there's one more here. It's 95%. Every leader in the room should lean in like 95%. There's something that we can do that we're going to absorb a 95% of what we do. Anybody have any idea what it is? Teach. What we teach others. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the amazing thing. When I took the years to write these tools, I thought they were going to be for disciples. That's what was my, that was my main goal. What I didn't see coming is that in a church culture where there are, your church culture is now full of disciple makers and disciples, disciple making is equally or more impacting to the disciple makers. I didn't see that coming. It's sticking with them. We have a, a good friend of ours. He's a, his name is Matt. Matt is a cabinet maker. Wakes up at oh dark hundred. Now he owns the business. And um, Matt told me one time, he's like, man, I got to wake up earlier. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I'm telling my disciple, hey, spend some time with the Lord before you go to work. So I feel like I have to. I feel like I want to now. So we see tremendous impact on our disciple makers because what we've done now is we've broken the expert culture and we've put a lot more people into a position of pouring into somebody else. Make sense? It's a big deal. So uh, the, the funny thing, that in the church culture, we highlight the first two. We do a lot of listening and a lot of reading, right? And so we've chosen the more weaker areas of how, we, how human beings remember and absorb and learn. And I would say the vast majority of how we transmit information is about these first two. So why not? use the last two. So what we're trying to do is say, hey, here's how you take tools and you make them in such a way that they're going to highlight and really focus on the way human beings absorb. All right. So uh, here's a small circle approach. We believe that, you know, one pedal of the bicycle is important and that's content and information. We get that. People would be pretty surprised if you were a fly on the wall watching how I use the tools. I will never say, would you put on question three? Would you put on question four? Would you put on question five? Uh, because I want to say, what, what stood out to you? What disturbed you? What didn't you like? What did you learn about God in this one? We're trying to be organic, right? In our next session, we talk about the mobile app. And the mobile app 
helps with all of this stuff. I'm a book guy. I like regular books. I use the mobile app one time, and I'm like, wow, I can never use the books again because you actually, there's a feature. I'm not going to tell you what it is. There's a feature in the mobile app that, that uh, helps with the, uh, the not having to ask all those questions, all right? So here's some of the things that we do. Smaller circle uh, relationships, right? So we've moved from casual on Sunday morning to the core to the close and now to the confidential. The content of our tools is designed specifically for a table for two. There is amazing curriculum, tons of it for groups. So I felt like, hey, there's people that have done that so well. Let's make a tool that really is for one-to-one. -one. People say, can you use it in a micro group? Sure, you can. Some materials that is written for a group says you can do it for a group or one-to-one. -one. No problem with that. But I will say that it's hard to do a one-size-fits-all. So we said, how do we make the content in such a way that's more customizable and, and it's designed that way? So I say that unashamedly because there's so many great tools for groups that this is specifically designed for one-to-one. -one. Uh, yesterday, we looked at uh, our top view design. I won't go over it, but eight, over 80% of our disciples become disciple makers. So you can review that earlier. Um, we do some internal to external things. What do I mean by that? We have a space in every session to journal. And so this is a lost art, especially for guys. And so we help people out that haven't journaled. Here's some story starters. Here's how I see God working in my life. Here's, here's how, something that I'm in conflict with God about. So we give some starters that they can, or they can just write whatever. They can write some amazing victories. They can write uh, things they're struggling with, things just uh, what they're thankful for, you know, whatever they want. It's journaling, but it takes what's going on inside and puts it out so that when we come together, anything interesting in your journal this week? Not every week, but I'm getting to know what's on the inside and we're trying to break the information. Uh, we do a thought-provoking question. So, for example, here's, here's the first session. I'll give you an example of what this is. Again, we're going to take information. We have worksheets. We have study sheets in our tools. We have you know, some, uh, some reading uh, content to do. We get all that. But we're trying to take that and customize it. So I want you to think about your own individual life and what is your greatest relational challenge. Like I'm overly talkative. I am uh, not a great forgiver. My wife is an amazing forgiver. I'm more like the Tempur-Pedic pillow. It takes a little while to come back. <laughs> so if you think about that, uh, that, that challenge, okay, do you have it in your mind? If you were to share at a table for two, we're not going to ask you to stand up and say it in front of the class. But if you were to ask, think about what is my greatest relational challenge? I'll give you mine. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Virginia. And in, Virgi in the Southern culture, as some of you may know, so people come to your house and, hey, you, you come back, you hear? We shut the door like, boy, I hope they never come back again. <laughs> We're super nice in the su Southern culture. I moved from the, from the South to Boston. That was a bit of a, a, you know, a cultural shock for me because I'm like, wow, he just said what he actually really thought. That's, that's really, uh, that was refreshing. So, uh, and I loved it for me. I'm like, wow, he really told me just to get out. I mean, so, it's amazing. So, um, so I grew up in, in that Southern culture. It's a, it has been a challenge for me to say, hey, I, I really want to speak truthfully to you right now, right? So if you have that thing in your mind and they were pro to produce a movie, someone would produce a movie about your greatest relational challenge, what would the name of the movie be? So the name of my movie would be Southern Coward. 
And when I'm talking to my disciple, Mike, I'm, this would be the name of my movie. It's just a kind of a different way of thinking, a more little bit of a creative way to get to something deeper rather than saying, hey, what's your greatest relational challenge? I mean, most people are not going to open up, but if you just make it a little fun, you turn a little creative, people will begin to talk. And then we can talk about the focus of the chapter and the worksheet and all that information, but now we can customize it. Does it make sense? Every single session has a, a thought-provoking question. Hi, it's Jason Henderson here as a sponsor from Renew.org. I wanted to invite you to not only attend Discipleship.org's National Disciple Making Forum, but come one day early for the Renew.org Network National Gathering. It's October 4th from 1230 to 830 p.m., so the afternoon and evening you can travel early that day. You'll get to hear from Paul Hugabart, Jim Putman, Shadonke Johnson, and other well-known disciple makers. They'll speak on our theme, Real Life Theology Conversations. That's the theology we need for real life and the relationships and conversations, the hard conversations that it takes in today's cultural reality to make disciples. There's special pricing available. You're going to want the best price to come to both Discipleship.org's National Disciple Making Forum as well as Renew.org's National Gathering. Go to Renew.org forward slash events for that combo ticket. That's the best price to both events, the combo ticket. Again, that's R-E-N-E-W dot O-R-G forward slash events, renew.org forward slash events. We'll see you there. We have a mobile app as, as we'll look at the next session. There's some really cool features that actually uh, help the relational side of things. And then finally labs, and this is where we're going to land right now. Okay. So the information age, actually, uh, people say we're actually through the information age, and now we're in what's called the experience age. That's why we like special effects in movies. I haven't, we haven't been in the movie theater for two years because of COVID and all that stuff, and so finally we just went and saw the James Bond movie, and a drink of Coca-Cola for five years, and you have one, it's like, wow, it's like a you know, battery acid. You know, you're just not used to it. And I, I wasn't used to being in a movie theater, and it's like the overload of and people chasing each other and blowing stuff up, and all, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff is like, wow, man, it's overload. We're, we now want 3D glasses, and now what's the new thing the Facebook guys come out with? It's called Meta, right? That's, that's a little crazy. I'll stop at that, but <laughs> the whole virtual experience. So now we live in the experience age. So the labs are really experiential. In other words, let's experience something. So let me, let me kind of give you an idea of some of, the, of some of the labs that are in every session. So sometimes we have outings. When we're talking about, hey, are you tuned in to God? We'll go to, we say, and the disciple never knows what the lab is. So when the disciple shows up, every time we meet, there's an intrigue. There's a, a sense of like, I wonder what we're going to do today. Because sometimes we'll say, you know that, uh, that uh, cemetery on corner 41 and, and uh, Veneva? Let's meet there next week. And they're like, what? Or next time we're going to meet at the Starbucks in Midtown, which is, and we're going to meet outside. And so it's super loud. There's always construction. There's always traffic. And we're sitting there talking. It's a little bit annoying. And then halfway through the, our time together, we say, I want you to shut your eyes and tell me everything you've seen and heard in the last 60 seconds. 
And it's amazing. People like, um, let's see, I hear traffic. I heard, I'm like, mm-hmm, keep going. I guess I do hear a bird. Uh-huh, right? Oh, I do hear people. And, and they begin to zero in. I'm like, this is what it's like to listen to God. This is what it's like to be in the Word of God and, and spend time and dig and listen and wait and be patient. It's very intentional. Sometimes we do outings. Sometimes we do role-playing. We, when we talk about sharing our faith, we say, I'm going to take on the role of, uh, of a pluralist. And I'm, I'm always hard-nosed with my disciples. And I'm saying, well, why would you say that? Well, how do you know the Bible's true? And so we, we get them exercising. We go to a, a, a worship service of a different faith. We'll go to a synagogue. We'll go to a mosque. I want them to experience, if they've only been in church all their life, I want you to experience other people are very genuine and very authentic about the way they're worshiping. And what did we learn? What did you see different? Uh, tactile stuff. We do stuff that is uh, touching and smelling and tasting. Uh, we do uh, some very personal, customized. Probably my favorite lab is when we're talking about the unconditional love of God. The unconditional love of God, most people get it here, but on their worst day and when they've done something really privately sinful, it's really hard to imagine God loves me exactly the same as he did yesterday, right? We get the theology and all that. So what we do is we sneak up on them and we say, so let's say, for example, I'm, I'm discipling Jerry and uh, I'm working now privately for a secret gift for Jerry with Jerry's spouse. About a month before, I'm going to go to Jerry's wife. I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to give something to Jerry. I need your help. Can you locate 10 to 12 of his closest relationships? Maybe it's children. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a college roommate, whoever that is. And I want you to have them write a letter. If they could handwrite it, it'd be great. Uh, write a letter and mail it to you. Don't let him know that it's coming. And I want you to ask them to say what they would say at Jerry's funeral. Because I don't know why we wait to say the most meaningful things after a person can't hear us. So what we do is we come in. So I'll take my example with the guy I'm discipling. His name is Dave. Dave has three teenagers. His oldest daughter is breaking their hearts. She's sleeping with a guy. She's doing drugs. She's, I mean, it's just, it's just breaking their hearts. So I went to his wife and I said, hey, um, can you, can you um, help me with these letters? So I come into the session. He doesn't know I have them. I'm like, hey, man, so you think God loves you like the same every day? He goes, I get the same answer. I get it here, but man, when I've really blown it, it's tough, right? I'm like, well, I have a surprise for you. I kind of put some ambient music on. I haven't read the letters. These are his letters. And I just sit in silence. I'm like, hey, I got, I got a, a stack of letters for you. If the father is still alive, I put the fathers on the bottom as last because fathers typically don't write letters to their their boys. I would empty my bank account to have a letter from my dad. It's just, it's a very, it's a thing with guys. So the dad's alive, put it on the bottom. So we started, I had his 19-year-old's letter on the top. And I said, hey, if you are sometimes questioning the perfect love of God, I want you to hear from imperfect people and how deeply they love you. He started reading. He's halfway through the first paragraph on his 19-year-old daughter 
He put it back in the stack and he tossed the stack over on the coffee table and said, can't do it. I'm like, how come you can't do it? Is this too vulnerable for you? He goes, it's pretty vulnerable. I'm like, hey, listen, let me tell you who I am. If you cry, I cry. If you vomit, I will vomit right after you. That's just, you know, that's just a gag reflex. She, my wife knows, like, don't look, he's vomiting. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I said, Dave, come on, let's, let's give it a shot. He starts reading. Tears are flowing. Tears flowing on me. He's reading, he's reading. That was probably a year ago. Those letters are still on the dashboard of his pickup truck. And then we say, you see, these are imperfect people, how deeply they love you, and they know all your stuff. They know your skeletons, and they still love you. And then we have communion together. It's a moment. It is a real moment. And the wall of Adam just came down about 10 inches. We've experienced something vulnerable, and we've taken this theology of unconditional love, and we read a little bit about it, but we customized it and like, boom, it's just, it's really, it's really amazing. Uh, we do creative things. We build stuff. Uh, we do different things. There's some surprise elements. We have one that we have, we're talking about sin. We have two glasses of water and one's half full of water and vinegar and the other one's full of water. And we're like, hey, let's take sips. You know, and like, you know, they spit it out. It's kind of fun. Uh, we talk about that. <laughs> you can use poison, rat poison, whatever. <laughs> We do a maze with mouse traps and you know blindfold, barefoot. Yes, <laughs> uh, relationally, we do uh, do-it-yourself reveals. Kind of cool. Some iconic reminders. So I won't go into all these, but anyway, I just want to get an idea. This is so I want to do a visual lab with you guys. If you're tracking with your phone, you could do this now. But if you're not, you can just look up here. If you can see a screen, if you can't, come on over. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you. So this is a session on um, loving the Bible. The last thing you want to say, a disciple maker to your disciple is, you gotta read the Bible. You know, it sounds like you gotta eat kale. I mean, it's like there's nothing inviting about that statement. Rather, we would want them to love the Word of God and see the value of the Word of God because when they see that and they fall in love with the Word of God, they will want to read the Word of God, right? So we say, okay, we're gonna do this kind of an image. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna flash a image or if you follow along your phone, just, you know, don't, uh, just follow instructions, find this and we're gonna, uh, when I give you the count of three, we're gonna swipe to the next picture, but then you're gonna swipe right back to this one, okay? So I just want you to see the image for a brief second. Okay, you guys ready? And you, then you tell me what you see. All right, here we go. And we're back. What did you see? Just raise your hand. Shout out. What did you see? Flowers. Yes. Fla I guess flowers with ribbon at the bottom. Ribbon at the bottom, yes. Leaves. Leaves, yes, good. Uh-huh. looks like dried flowers. Ah, uh, dried flowers. Oh, descriptive. I like that. All right, I'll give you a little more time. Okay, so we would say, hey, you know what? When you start reading the Bible, you spend a little bit of time with it, you'll see some beautiful things. You'll see, you know, some, some things like, oh, wow, that really, you'll see some inspirational things. Okay, here's a picture. Anything different? Some words. Do you see what they were? Disciple. Disciple. Love. love. Huh? Make. Yeah. But not make love. I just, I'm It's <laughs> 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 not an x-ray of flowers out here. <laughs> that was a different leaf. <laughs> So, um, so then we would say, you know what's really cool? We're chiseling the expert culture. Sometimes you're going to see something in the Bible, and it's going to be different than what I see. And that's really neat because we're going to bring our perspectives 
I'm not going to be an expert in this, in this relationship. Now, so what we will say is like, all right, you know that feeling we're experiencing. You know that feeling when you went, ooh, it's exactly what happens when we spend enough time with the Word of God. And we like, we begin to see the hidden things. And they're like, ooh, that's neat. I want to start reading the Bible. Okay, well, let's start. Let's, you know, jump in. So my disciple, the guy I'm disciple right now, we're doing a one-year read through the Bible together. So it's not about the information. It's learning to love the Word of God. Make sense? Super, super cool. Here's the reasons for the laugh. Number one, we remember things that we experience. You'll not forget that. You'll go home and think, hey, that was pretty cool, right? The rubber band trick and all that. It helps us absorb. It translates spiritual principles into human skin. That's why Jesus, I looked it up. I, forget, I was shocked. I thought, okay, Jesus talked about seed and water and farming and weddings and virgins and oil and lamps and all those things. So I'm going to find, you know, about 50. I mean, there was so many more than I had anticipated. And I, I promise you, if he were here, he would be talking about uh, lattes, uh, gigabytes, terabytes, you know, like the kingdom of God is like terabytes or something, you know, I don't know, but he would be using our language. There's unexpected variety. I think it's super important for our very short attention span culture. You don't know what's going to come. We know we're not going to get together every single week and read through a booklet. You know, we're going to do something crazy. We're going to do something fun. Last time we tasted vinegar. What are we going to do? That We're meeting in the cemetery. We're going to a funeral home. We're going to a mosque. I mean, there's different, different things. I think that's the way Jesus, and I think it fights information transfer. Um, it, on the relational side, super, super important. The lab's I'm telling you, they chiseled down the wall of Adam. It's a big, big deal. If we've laughed together, if we've wept together, what we're doing is building a path of history that leads to safeness. And it's, it is not about information. I said yesterday, I'll say it again for those that are new this, this morning, something around the six-month mark, you can't rush it. So I say, with the right design of tools, with enough time and the Holy Spirit, you'll be shocked. Sometimes on the front end of one-to-one, -one, like, oh, I got to share everything. I'm like, you, you don't have to share. I, the guy disciple before, uh, he didn't open up, like, tremendously. That's okay. I'm not there to say, you know, what'd you do when you were in middle school? You know, I mean, we're, not, we're, not, uh, we're not trying to dig. We'll just allow it to process. But for the vast majority, it's like, I can't believe... We're, we're getting this close, all right? Uh, there's a platform from the internal, the external. We talked about that. There's this history of shared experience that builds trust, which leads to life change, all right? So um, I just want to end with this, this thought that Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love so that in all things we grow up into him who is the head that is Christ, right? So I do believe that we sometimes only grow up in some things because we don't move the relationship far enough that we can talk about all things. And if we don't have a certain level of relationship, we will only grow in some things. I think if you look at the complexion of the church culture right now, we are desperately missing not life change, but what comes before life change. We think we can motivate and move people from the pulpit and I will propose to you, as a, as a preacher, that I view the pulpit as one of the weakest places of communication. 
Now, I believe in preaching. I believe in the supernatural power through proclaiming the Word of God. So don't mishear me. I'm just saying Jesus took it to another level. He preached, but then he concentrated and then he customized. So it, it just can't stay in that arena is what I'm saying. And far too often we've stayed in that arena and then it just becomes information on a shelf. Does that make sense? So I believe that in one pedal, got to have content, but I also believe in this other pedal that we have to really work hard at that information and get beyond concentrating on it and even customize it. And that's, that's, the, that's the heart of these tools. I'll also say this, that I mentioned it yesterday. So most of the guys that I have discipled have been seasoned Christians. Sometimes we think, oh, new believer, disciple making. Um, so let me ask you this question. What percentage of the American evangelical church has ever been discipled at a Paul Timothy level? Anybody take a shot? At what? A Paul Timothy level, table for two. Under 5%. Under 5%, yes. It's 1%. That means that we are dealing with a church culture that is 99% undiscipled at that level. Now, we've been discipled. I think, you know, when you're preaching, it's a form of discipleship, right? I mean, you're teaching, we're learning. I think you're in your group, that, but I'm saying at this level of being able to customize, what is the thing that you're wrestling with? What are the questions that you have? What are the things you're frustrated with? What are the things you might be angry with God about? How do we customize those things and get it down to that, that very clear conversation? Only 1%. So most of the guys I've discipled have been seasoned, undiscipled believers. But I will say that it is equal of importance to say they, but new believers also need more than a class because as you're starting out, they need so much customization. Don't fall for the fact that they need to know about Jesus. They do. Need to know how to learn to read the Bible. They do. How to pray. They do. I get all that. But they need, we need to customize it to them and allow them to talk about the mud they still have on their shoes from the world so that they can say, hey man, I'm still going through this and wrestling with this. Very, very important. How do you get beyond information transfer? Customize, 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 customize. It's life-changing. So let me pray, then we'll, we'll, uh, I'll let you out in good time. Thank you again for coming uh, and being with us. And uh, again, if you text small circle 97,000, you have all these notes. If you want to review them later, that way I'm, I'm trying to uh, diminish the number of trees that we kill at a conference that, <laughs> and uh, all the stuff that you have to take home. Uh, next session is uh, probably one of my favorite ones on the mobile app and what that does. So I'm going to do a demonstration of how that works, if that's helpful for you guys. Uh, so let me, let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much for every single person uh, who's gathered this week uh, for this, this uh, forum uh, because they have said somewhere in themselves, I need to know more about disciple making. And that is such so close to your heart. Father, we are, as you know, inundated by information around the world at a global level. And it's almost as if we need to just put a pause and understand as human beings how we absorb, how we remember, how we turn the corner of life change. And then we look at Jesus 
and how brilliant he was and, and the way that he communicated, using the, the language of the people, using the illustrations and pictures and, and putting people on water and making them walk and all of those things. Thank you, Father, for always being our model. We need you, we need you, we need you. And help us, God, to uh, be faithful to the assignment that you've given to make disciples of all nations. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll see you. See you soon. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that track session. Make sure you stay tuned because up next, we've got another track session from Small Circle coming at you. And I just want to remind you to go ahead and mark those calendars for October 5th and 6th so that you can come see us live and in person in Nashville, Tennessee for our 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. All right, everybody, have a great day. Mm -hmm.